think maybe the, a good place to start is, um, is just tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, what you've been involved in in ministry, maybe even something of your salvation. So kind of your story and briefly, I know to tell a preacher that, can you be brief and it's very difficult, but um, and just almost also part of the apostolic team that you travel and stuff. Dan, thanks. I just want to first of all thank Dan Stoller um, and the, the, the leaders just for allowing this because uh, as you said, you know, when a guy sort of comes in, you sort of wonder where is he from. Although he's in from South Africa, he's got the best rugby team, so uh, I thought I'd... Thank you. Thank you. Not anymore. I, that's I thought great. I'd find it's one really guy yeah, in the building. Thank you. We, we need to talk afterwards. We need to, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I saw the New Zealanders were quiet here at the moment. So but Italy funny. beat us. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's focus. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and um, it's actually a, when, we, when we go back, Inga and I have been in, um, in full-time ministry about 17 years now. Uh, we've been at Harvest. The church is about 2,500 members. The church has been going for about 32 years. And they're part of the Church of the Nations group. You might have heard them. And um, we've been there for about 28, 29 years. And uh, we were worship pastors. First of all, first of all, in business, we were, we were running. First of all, was an SABC audio engineer. Uh, worked there, crazy hours, still part of a church. And then um, had a recording studio, my own business. So sort of touched the side of really trusting God for month to month. <laughs> And knowing what, what God can support you with. And uh, that was for about seven years. And then we went full time. And uh, we've been involved. And my son, my other son, my eldest son, he's a worship pastor. Your favorite well. son. Uh, Your favorite son. My favorite son. Yeah, that's right. My fa- he's actually better looking and all that. So, but uh, Travis knows. You know, Travis understands. He walks with it. You know, so it's fine. Yeah, that's why he's in Dubai. That's right. <laughs> No, and um, so my, it's just amazing. My, my eldest son left um, Harvest about 10 years ago, and it shows you how God's plan in your life. We often think that we, we sort of plan things and uh, went to a small little town of Sedgefield. Um, some of you can remember it next to Nisner. And um, he was a pastor there for eight years. He, took, uh, he was there with a pastor at that stage that was 72 and um, it was one of those questions when you asked, uh, God, why, why are you sending this incredibly talented and anointed and gifted son to a little town of a couple of people and a church of about 20 people, which I can remember the first thing I can ever remember is when he went to lead worship there, the first thing was that the actual fold, the fallback monitors were two little um, computer speakers. And that what was playing back to him. And I thought, and I stood at the back and I said, God, this can't be you. It's impossible. You know, you don't work like, like this. And God audibly in that moment said to me, it's his plan, his life. Let me do it. And I just, okay, you know, when you get that as a father even, you go, okay, all right. And just to cut that short, I mean, he was eight years, went to another town in Cape, near Cape Town, Paul. And in all of this, our church was thinking of a succession plan, and we were really trust, trusting God. And I'm sure many of you might even tell stories of succession plans are not always good. They don't, the stories are not always great. and Some of them work very well. And God was doing something amazing in our leadership. And our senior pastor, his son was the administrator of the church, not even a pastor. 
And suddenly God started to move among other leaders and starting to do things. And um, long story short, the senior pastor's son, the eldership and apostolic felt that he takes over the church, not the senior pastor himself. And then the senior pastor did something really strange. He called Ingranite. It was one of those really weird things. We on leave, coming back in January, and about two days before we come back from leave, I get this phone call, and he says, Andrew, uh, I'd like to see Ingrid and you tomorrow about your future. Now, you can imagine that's a great telephone call that you're getting while you're still on leave. And I looked at Ingrid, and I said to her, what do we do wrong? We won't leave, you know. Don't Nothing could back. have gone wrong. Don't come back. Yo, don't come back. And <laughs> sort of wondering, and we had no idea, nothing. And when we got back, we sat with our senior pastor that day, and he said, we just felt his leadership to call your son back. And we said, but we had, we had prayed for that years ago, and then we suddenly realized not to pray for that, not to call him back. You know, because often you can call somebody back that's not even on God's plan. And um, so they called him back. So the succession plan was he took over the team and um, the senior pastor's son took over the church. And we knew it was a, at that moment, you immediately start worrying about the word nepotism and you know that it's wrong and people, and we, and truly, and I can say this honestly, we had just the opposite. There was just such favor when your elderly people in the church of the 70s plus come to the new pastor and the senior and the worship pastor, and they're so excited and they're supportive and they're rocking for them, you know. And, um, and I think that was something. So that was that side. And um, we very much involved. I'm also a technical and a producer for the GLS Summit, the Willow Creek Summit in South Africa and Rwanda and travel around. Um, so my technical side, God uses that as well. And my wife and I travel around as well, training worship teams or imparting to them and just sharing a bit of heart and stuff like that. So we're very involved that way. Can I just ask, um, I'm, I'm, Travis told me a little bit about your salvation story. Could you just yes. briefly just tell us how you got, I love hearing a salvation story, how you got saved. But uh, yeah, I was one of those sort of nominal guys. You know, we went to a Methodist church and uh, I can remember the first Sunday night when the, past, when the minister in those days invited a guitarist to come play worship in the church, and there was just upheaval, you know, because guitars were, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say guitars and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so there was huge issues about this sort of guitar thing. And I can remember standing there going, oh, this is great, you know. Organist wasn't too happy. And, yeah. and you sort of go through that, and you're wondering. And um, my brother-in-law, um, my sister's, my wife's uh, brother, we were at school together, and he was an amazing person, radically saved. Uh, had a, uh, he was part of a, a Salvation Army band. They were the Salvation Army. And, and he invited this, let's call it this unsaved guy, to come and play drums for them. Now, you can imagine today. Can you imagine inviting an unsaved guy onto a platform and say, listen, why don't you come and play drums for us? That's absolute taboo. But the funny joke is that that's how I got saved. You know? So I'm always on that major issue of how do you reach a musician you get the musician to play you know that's the only way i can get into the guy's heart which is really a strange thing but i know it's a sort of a debatable thing but um when i think of my life and graham had a huge impact and i couldn't understand we had a a rock band that used to play on a friday saturday night and earn some money for those from south africa we used to earn like 35 rand a night you can imagine that's huge bucks okay you didn't know what you did eight dirhams 
<laughs> so, I mean, to have 35 rand in your pocket after a gig, it was like really big, big money. And uh, we went ahead, and, and I couldn't understand that when he would invite me to, to Sunday, I couldn't understand that these guys were enjoying playing worship and enjoying playing, and they weren't getting paid for this. This just didn't work for me, you know. And I watched these guys enjoying it. Graham had this subtle way, and he, even his, uh, his way of doing it, extremely talented. And that just imparted to me more and more until I realized one day I committed my life to the Lord, went up to the mercy seat, committed my life, and realized, God, this is something bigger. It's not just music. And uh, the irony of it all, really, if you make a short story of it, at the age of 16, we were setting up for an event for one of my wife, which wasn't my wife then, um, setting up an event, and Graham got electrocuted on stage while we were setting up and died. And to me, that shocked me. I couldn't understand how this guy would have affected our lives. And um, he died. It was one of the freak accidents. And we couldn't, a lot of us, the guy who played bass was, was the same. And we sort of broke ties with the family, funny enough. And uh, a couple of years later, I came back from uh, Johannesburg, uh, met her again. And I won't tell you how we met again. And it was all about a birthday kiss, and I won't go into it, so let's not worry about it. I said to her, you missed a birthday kiss for a year, and that was it. So, and we married 37 years later. So. <laughs> but it was something that um, we connected, and we got married, and the whole worship thing stirred up in me again. Yeah. So you never know when you meet somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Graham's purpose, and I'm not saying it was just for me, but Graham's purpose had reached so many people. And my life, I had no interest in worship, no interest in nothing. I mean, playing worship, becoming a pastor was the last thing on my agenda. So God's purpose in using people, even in that short time, and that's how I really became. Just to, around the worship thing, um, can you just maybe just, obviously being a worship leader for, for so many years, impacting lives, can you just talk about the importance of worship in your own life, but also uh, as a community and the, the importance and power of, yeah. of worship in the church. Yeah. Maybe some stories that you've seen God move. Yeah. I think if I, if I can pick up from this morning, it was, it was very interesting that you said you toned it down and tied it. And the thing that I've learned from a worship leader's point of view is I think one of the greatest, the greatest gifts that I can have and I can, I can receive is to see people worship. Um, if I see people not connecting with God, well, what am I doing, yeah. you know? So if I see the people connecting, like this morning, I could... And also the greatest sound to me is to hear the people sing. Yeah. So if I can hear them worshipping, what else do I want, you know? Yeah. And it's great. I love having a great band, gifted musicians, and man, you've got an amazing group of people that are very sensitive. And l- let me say this to your, to your group of, of musicians that I just listened this morning. That is a rare gift at times. There are many people that are very gifted, or, or let me say, are very talented, but not gifted at being sensitive. Um, Darlene Chick writes a great ty- uh, comment, and she says, the greatest music, the greatest musicians, the greatest sound, the greatest song, without the anointing, it's just music. Yeah. And to me, that's what worship's about. It's that, and to me, it's, it's the worship thing as well is my task, or let's say my job as a worship leader, really is to prepare the soil 
So when you sow the word, the soil's ready. So if, I, if God uses me as a worship leader and the worship team to impart to the people and the people connect with us and connect with God, and we tend, we tend to forget something, that worship is a two-way communication. We always think it's just us, but it's actually not. It's actually God speaking to us. And um, we've been very privileged in Grenau all over the place where we've seen how God has dealt or has connected with people in worship. Uh, people have got healed. Uh, our church went through a phase or season, I'd rather let's say, for about six to eight months where a guy had a prophetic word. And one of the prophetic words put over my life many years ago, and one of my desires was that people would get saved during worship. And you don't see that often. And then we went through a season for about six to eight months where tens and it's probably more than hundreds of people just randomly would just walk forward and they would come and be and people would then lead them to the Lord. And he gave a prophetic word to the church that and often people go, yeah, okay, you know. And we watched this happen, how people just randomly came forward, committed their lives to the Lord. And then the season lifted. So often people think it's going to go on forever, but God works in seasons. You know, he sort of says, this is it now. And so that's why worship to me is so very important. I was preaching last week on the Elisha thing, where he says to the three, to the three kings that come and ask him for the water, he says to them, um, call me somebody that can play the harp. And in that moment, it reminded me again of all the things he had around him. He said, can I have somebody to play the harp? Yeah. And it says, as the harp is played, so the power of God fell on Elisha. And that reminded me again of just how powerful worship is. Wow. So it's not just a matter of singing songs. And, and I think worship leaders are probably so blessed at this time that there's an abundance of great songs, anointed worship leaders, so much we can tap from. But the one thing I've always learned and the one thing I always leave somewhere when I do worship training is this, find out what God wants to do at City Lights. And then do what God tells you to do at City Lights. Yeah, Don't become a clone of somebody. Uh, Bethel doesn't want you to be a clone. Hillsong doesn't want you to be yeah. a clone. They want you to take their tools and that they have, that they've given you, and own it. Yeah. And, and that's when you can sense it. And this morning we sat there. I just sat there and realized, this is it. This is you. Yeah. Uh, and that's what it's about. You know, and people recognize that, you know. So worship to me is a, and obviously the line we always use, but it's a very valid line. It's, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's not just the stuff we do up yeah. here, you know. So. That's amazing. Such wisdom, which is great, you know. <laughs> um, I know we spoke a little bit yesterday, but you, can you just mention something? I know mean, it's, it's hard even for a preacher to mention your favorite scripture yeah. in the Bible, but if you have a scripture that you've kind of lived by, stood on, and just, uh, yeah, something of that and just why that, that, why that would be your favorite. Yeah. I actually want to quote it, but I, want, I, I wrote it because I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> and, of course, I would, I've got a bit of gray hair, so I'm allowed to use it. You know? um, I just want to make, make sure here. It says here, um, here we go. It says, one of my favorites is Proverbs 16. And some of you probably know it very well. Verse 1, 2, and 3, it says, we can make our plans, but the Lord gives us the right answer. But then he says the second verse is probably the biggest thing that really gets to me. He says, people may be pure in their own eyes, 
But the Lord examines their motives. Then he goes on, he says, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. So we always read the first one, you know. We always read, you know, it's fine. We, I can make plans. And what I do like is that the word tells me that um, I must make the plans. It says we will make our plans. So it's not like we must just sit on the corner and wait for something to happen. Make our plans. Trust God. Just take that step of faith. And sometimes, even in this season of, our, of my wife and I now, I'm saying, God, what now? Where are we going? And um, we were given a prophetic word about two years ago when this change happened. And he said, somebody said to me, you will minister from a place of rest. Because what do we do? We immediately want to go, gee, I would have filled my diary. You know, I don't have a Sunday job now, but we do. But we don't, you know. So you travel around and you see how God opens doors and God uses it way beyond what you think but you still plan and he always looks at the motive what is the motive you know just now to make yourself super you know superhero what everybody knows you know or are you really going to share what i have on my heart for the people and my wife and i've seen that you know and we've trusted that we've watched the plans in his time i think that's the problem we all suffer with that we wanted to happen yesterday and god says no well just hang around, trust me, and you watch things have happened, you know, and we've really been, so that's why I can live by that and because and, I've seen it, I really worked it out. Just, um, I know that both of your kids are, are serving God today and kind of going to the next generation, but just can you just talk, because there's a, quite a few parents, do you want parents, do you want to raise your hand quickly, if you've got kids, um, how did you bring your family on, onto the mission of God? Uh, maybe even some practical things, but yeah. just something of your story. Yeah. I, I know that. Yeah. yeah, we had, and I think for the for the young people here or young young parents here, we were we were fortunate back at home. We had the support group, as grandpas and grand, grand grannies, which is great. And most of you probably don't don't have that here, but we didn't always use that. We brought our kids with us, and it was lovely to see kids here because that's what life is about. Family, it's part of it, and I can remember. Travis and Dwayne falling asleep next to the drums. That's why they play drums today, okay? And they used to sit there and they used to sit with drums, or otherwise there was a blanket on the front, and there were their toys and everything else, and we would sing and lead worship, and they would tra- we would do tours in SA with worship teams, and Dwayne was tiny and Travis was small, and we would take them with. And So church and worship and ministry became part of them. It wasn't something that, you know, I got tired of it. and all, So they knew going to church wasn't a drag. Um, they found life in church. Yeah. Uh, they grew up like that. And there where it says, bring up the way, your child in the ways of the Lord, and he will never wonder. And we actually see that. There are times they, they will go through a season, but they know where the anchor is. Mm. And um, they brought their kids, my, my three granddaughters, who's now back home, and um, their parents are full, full-time as well. Yeah. They are in church there, and that's life. It doesn't matter. They'll play or go to some children's church and back. And, mm. uh, and I watch uh, Travis's and Kersey's too. So for them, it's not something unusual. Yeah. So when your kids see it's part of life, and church sure. is part of life, you'll find that they will grow up to feel exactly the same. So when I find that... Uh, we found it in the church. We did a survey once, and um, the children's church pastor did a survey 
of attendances. And he just noticed something very interesting. The parents were attending one in four. But the children were attending three in four. And he sort of couldn't understand it. So he realized that parents would drop off the kids and they would go. So we actually addressed it in a very gentle way and encouraged the parents, made the facilities wherever possible, whether it's for feeding moms or whatever it was. We really went out the way. And suddenly young parents felt, hey, I can actually go to church. And I, and I know it's a huge drain when you've got two little ones and you're trying to listen to the sermon and they have a year and there's and, and just chaos. We have a sort of an, ex, not an ex, but we have a room at the back with glass. Uh, it's not a mother's room where moms and dads can sit. We've got about 60 people in there with little ones. Yeah, and the noise level is quite intense. So the sound system there is actually better than the one that's in the auditorium. But it's not. But, but we actually realized that got the parents back so that they felt easy. And um, so it is, you do, let me say this from the depths of my heart, you will reap it. No matter how tough it might get, you will look back and you will say, God, I did something good. You'll see your kids see it. You'll see your kids notice it. They'll mix with other kids that will impart something. There's something that your kid, you cannot deny it. You will know that was worth it. Yes, it was tough. When I got home from church, you are exhausted. You want to just lie on the floor and sleep and you can't. And then the kid's still awake and everything else. So all of that doesn't work, but you will reap. I can say it really is worth it, yeah. It's amazing um, hearing the story just about, I think, that's always the dream that we have for the local church is that it's a family affair, you know. Like everyone gets involved. We're in each other's lives. And I just think it's incredibly powerful. And obviously you, having seen it over generations, can come like that side and go, guys keep going so that's amazing yeah. thank you yeah. um probably kind of a final question which might take a little bit longer but what what has kept for both of you your longevity in in ministry and and following after jesus i think yes i can say one thing is that the longer you in ministry so many time people say say to you in ministry you've heard of burnout You've heard of guys just um, walking away. Mm. And we, as in the ministry now, we've often, we've often questioned that. And we've asked, why are guys doing that? Or people just come to church and they find that there's no life. And I remember uh, Tony Fitzgerald, you remember him? He's the head of, of Cotton. And um, he said the most profound thing, which has stuck in my head so much. He said, you cannot give your life for your church. You can't give your life for your pastor, but you can give your life for the kingdom. And I suddenly, the penny dropped, because to my senior pastor who was then, I really committed everything, which is correct. Um, We serve you and we make the job work for you. Um, You're the appointed person, and serve you is exactly what you... And I can see that, what's so amazing. The minute we walk in the door... You know, we're very alert on stuff, and you watch the welcoming team and all that sort of, and you walk in, and you go, yeah, this is great, you know, because you can sense it where people are actually serving. And when you give your life for the church itself, we actually miss it. Then it becomes a task. But the minute my wife and I realized this is for a greater cause, it really is, and then we've seen God's faithfulness, um, and you can't deny that. You 
you look, you look back, and it's always amazing in our, all, I think, all of our lives, we don't see God often in the worst times. We often think, God, where are you? You said you'd be here. You said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. And you have this major debate with him, and he's trying to tell you, Andrew, shush, just, just listen, you know. And over the past year or two, that verse where it says, be still and know, yeah, we struggle with that. That's really a battle, that one, okay? Where he says, Andrew, shush, shush. And um, I'm going to ask a question now, but don't answer. Just think about it in your head. Where if you take seven days, seven days, and how many hours are in seven days? How many people have taken ten minutes, ten minutes to be still? And I don't mean read the Bible. I don't mean pray. I don't mean listen to worship music. I don't mean playing piano or drumming. Just sitting still for 10 minutes, for seven days. Don't answer, don't put up your hand. But go away with this and say, 10 minutes in seven days, come on, God, that's nothing. But just answer it. And probably most of us, including me at times, me are saying, Lord, I've actually missed it. Your word says, just be still. And I think that, whether it's in life, whether it's in business, um, during my business years, I would go into the recording studio very early and I would sit at the piano and just worship and just play and just let God come into the studio and just pray for the day. And that's when I was taught that. That I was getting so involved in, in playing that I forgot about praying. So I'm like, really, gee, that's a great chord. Let me just work this out, you know. And I'm starting connecting again and... And suddenly I stopped playing. And in a recording studio, it's probably the greatest place to be because you can hear nothing. Not the traffic, not the phone, there's nothing. And that's where I learned. And do I do it today often? I still don't. I miss it every night again. We miss it. Because it's something that we are wired for, but we forget. And I think that's what keeps us going and keeps most of us going. And I think I say that with you, that try it. Because God says there, just be still and you'll know that I'm there. Uh, that's amazing. Thank you. Can we give him a round of applause? I think. Could we all stand to our feet? Today has been a little bit different and I think sometimes we can change things up a little bit. It doesn't have to just be worship and straight into the word. This is a moment of learning from a father. Can you stop here? I'm going to ask Andrew to pray a blessing over us. I feel that there, is a, that there is power in impartation and there's power if we're willing to receive. So would you just speak life over us and the church? And thank you so much. Funny enough that um, Dan asks me that when I walked into this church and I saw this, the, the name City Lights and Matthew 28 came to me where it says about the Great Commission. And one of the things, and I know that obviously because of um, country rules and stuff, you can't go and evangelize. But Francis of Assisi said one of the most powerful sentences. He said, go and spread the word, the gospel, and where necessary, use words. You see, we, we don't have to speak. And then the Great Commission says, go. It doesn't say, we must tell them, come. It says, go. Make disciples and then they will come. 
So our lives, and I know it must be, an ama- we've just been here for a few days. Dubai is an amazing city. The vibe, even when we walked in the church here, I said to Travis, the vibe is just unbelievable. Sounds like a thousand people here, you know. And I want you just for a moment, when I pray now, I want you just to see yourself as that city light. Not the lights, the, a light. And that you don't have to speak. But everything you do, the way your action is, the way your heart is, people pick up things just by your body language, just by your smile. So when we walked in the door, the smiles were just so incredibly welcoming. But do we carry that to work? And you might say, Andrew, you don't work where I work. <laughs> Try and work in, work in the, broad, the broadcasting world, and you'll see how tough that is. But I had to learn that. That the way I work and what I do and what I say and how I do it, people will start asking me, what, what, what is it that you have? What, how come you handled that so well and I wanted to throw the guy out of the chair? How did you do and those questions start coming? So I want you to see yourself as you close your eyes as a light. And then to the families, to the young families here, you have the greatest gift to impart Christian family life to other families. The greatest gift. Your kids hide nothing. Remember that, eh? Your kids hide nothing. Your family or your friends, they know everything because your kids have told them. Remember that. So when your kids, those are your, the people that carry the light that your family is. Let's just, let's just bow our heads. Father, I first of all want to carry, just pick up Dan and Starla, Father, and the eldership of, of this church. Father, I thank you first of all that the minute we picked, walked in here, I saw the excellence, and I saw the commitment, and I saw the righteousness in which they lead this church. And Father, I pray protection, and I pray a leadership, and a forwardness, and a boldness that is a godly boldness. Father, I pray that you would give them as leadership many ideas, many. Father, they would make many plans, but that, Father, you would highlight the God ideas. Because, Father, we know the God ideas are the ones that are already blessed. We don't have to ask you to bless them. So I pray that favor and blessing over the the couples that lead this church, Father. And for the congregants, Father, for the members here, for the family, I pray that you would let, give each and every one the insight to see that they are a light in the City Lights Church. That they are a light that burns so brightly, not here on a Friday, but when they leave this door, that they will be the Great Commission in Dubai. They would do it so naturally and so effortless that, Father, you would draw many unsaved to this church. Many unchurched. Father, even those that we know are here living in Dubai that have, may have been offended by church back home or wherever they are. But that, Father, they would see here is a church that welcomes them with love and unconditional love and that will restore them to their relationship with you. So I pray, Father, that a word over this church will be a restoration church of bringing people and restoring them to you purely by their light, not even by their words. And Father, I speak that season 
over this church. Father, they would see many unsaved, many people that have become lukewarm come back to you. And that, Father, they would know, I know they will give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. So, Lord, I pray your blessing and favor over this church. In Jesus' name, amen.